You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Welcome to Form Now. I'm Tim Gray, president of the Augustan Institute, and joining me is Dr. Sean Innerst, who is a good friend, a teacher here at the Augustan Institute, as well as a professor at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary here in Denver. And it's a joy to have him on. We're going to talk about Padre Pio. And so uh, Padre Pio, this great towering saint of the 20th century, he comes at a time during his lifetime, there's two great wars. He's right there in Italy, right in the, right in the middle of it all. And, you know, and yet, in this time where it seems that God has forsaken the world, and there's all this bloodshed and conflict and violence and this movement away from God, uh, there's this incredible outpouring of God's grace in the life of Padre Pio for the sake of the world. And so I think there's, uh, there's not a lot of accidents in terms of why he is such a man of, of incredible mysticism and grace and miracles. I mean, mm-hmm. he's really known as kind of the, the saintly, I mean, there's not many saints who are so associated with miracles as Padre Pio. Oh, absolutely. Um, I sometimes, you know, um, offhandedly, maybe this isn't the best way to refer to his, uh, his life, his, you know, the miraculous uh, quality of his life, but I sometimes refer to him as the, the three-ring circus of mystical phenomena because he, almost every gift that one can have, he had. In spades. In spades, yeah, uh, dramatically and for a long period of time. And uh, so he, he, was, um, he was nothing but an instrument of, of God's sovereignty and power and love. And, and it, it worked its way through these mystical phenomena, which uh, just mount up almost uh, without limit in the life of Padre Pio. Well, where's the best place to start? He's, he's such an amazing character, uh, and it's just such a dramatic story. I, I know a friend gave me a collected writings, you know, his letters mm-hmm. for spiritual direction, and I remember reading through those and being moved how deeply biblical mm-hmm. as well as practical, I mean, and direct. I mean, he was very concrete, <laughs> direct, and yet uh, deeply spiritual at the same time. It's a unique combination that he had. Yeah, yeah. He very much was a, a figure with his feet on the ground, even though mm. <laughs> um, he experienced all these uh, these mystical phenomena. Um, he, you know, he was born in a, a small farming community in Pietrelcina. He's called, you know, Saint Pio of Pietrelcina. And, uh, poor town, right? I yeah, mean, small town. Small port town, uh, southern Italy. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, you know, the given name Francis, Francesco Forgioni, um, and uh, he, um, so he comes from just very simple roots, and he never lost that. Um, he, he was a, a very commonsensical mystic in many ways, man of great humor. Uh, you know, we're, gonna, we're going to hear that he suffered greatly throughout his life, but, um, but he was capable of amusing his confreres and the in, in, at the uh, friary in, in San Giovanni Rotondo, and uh, yeah, he, he loved humor. I mean, one of the one of his friars uh, that he was in the monastery with told the story that he loved to tell the story of the of a, of a poor peasant farmer going on a train ride. Yes, yes, I have heard. And, this story. Uh, and the peasant <laughs> farmer 
sees this train going, he had never been on it, and he wanted to get on it, so he goes to the ticket booth, and there's all these stories of him trying to get a ticket, and, uh -huh. you know, you know, and she said, well, where are you going? And that's, you're being, you know, nosy, aren't you? How do you want to know where I'm going? <laughs> and so he's just not used to this, and then she says, well, I, I've got to give you a return trip. I've got to book a return trip, uh -huh. and, and, and he didn't know what that was, and, and then she had to explain what a return t ticket was and a return trip. So he gets on the train, and then he ends up sitting in front of this priest. A and bishop. The, a bishop. Oh, it's a bishop. It's okay. a bishop of the store. And then <laughs> they go through this big tunnel, and everything goes dark. And then the bishop tells him we're, 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 the jokes says, with him. like, we're going to hell. We're going to hell. And then he says, well, Your Excellency, it's okay. I have a return ticket. <laughs> you must be very frightened, Your, your Excellency. But I have a return I ticket. I have a return ticket. So, anyhow. But that just, the, the levity and the, the sense of humor that uh, Padre Pio had. And yet he, was, he took sin very seriously. Yes. He led an ascetical life. He, yeah. He's willing to you know, fast and make sacrifices all mm -hmm. the time. Yes, very much so. And um, he made an offer of himself, apparently from a very young age, um, but especially after his ordination to the priesthood, he, in his letters to his spiritual director, he, he spoke about his desire to give his life entirely to Christ as, as a victim, and that Christ takes him up on the offer. Yeah. Right? Of course, it's Christ who inspires him with the, with the desire. First, that's a grace. Uh, but then gives him this lifelong grace of making up in his own body what is lacking to the sufferings of Christ to cite St. Paul. Well, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead and get to the heart of the thing, but that yeah. just brings up the point that his willingness to be a victim, Sean, and his suffering, and we'll talk about the nature of that suffering. Mm -hmm. And what strikes me about Padre Pio is both him being a victim for Christ and his suffering, and the grace that just seems to pour out of this man. I mean, mm -hmm. the miracles and the grace. And it could be the miracle of conversion of hardened people who then come to confession and, and go through radical. I mean, that, there's those kinds of great miracles. And there's the miracles of healing and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, prophecy. I mean, just everything. Like yeah. you said, he's got it, every prophetic trick in the book. Is, <laughs> he's got it. You know, he's, he's covered those bases. But it, it seems to me that he shows that there is a power in suffering, yes. right? That there's a, that, you know, we, we so uh, are afraid of suffering. We're afraid of the church suffering. We're afraid of ourselves suffering. Mm -hmm. And yet when he embraces it boldly for faith in Christ and offers it up, it becomes this incredible channel of grace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a beautiful insight. Um, it really is a, a case of that surrender to the passion, which is the very source of all saving grace, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he, he so uh, conforms himself to Christ, uh, Christ so conforms him to his own self-offering mm -hmm. that he becomes a dramatic conduit of the graces which flow from the Paschal mystery, Christ's own Paschal mystery. Um, so he becomes an open channel. There, there, there are no impediments. There are no barriers to the movement of, of grace uh, in the life of this priest who is so completely conformed uh, to Christ crucified in every detail. Mm. Well, I know he, he gets drafted in, during World War I. Yeah, that's And right. because he's so sickly mm -hmm. and he keeps getting sick that they, they put him in the medical corps 
Right. And, and then he gets discharged. <laughs> yeah. And then they bring him back, I think in 1918, they bring him back yeah. into the medical corps again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, w w anything of note during that period? I mean, that's what a, what oh, a well, time of great interruption for his early priestly career. Yeah, and it would have been characteristic, I suppose, of Italy at that time that they didn't care much for priests. Mm. And, uh, and so priests Yeah, you would think a priest would be exempt from military yeah, service. Yeah, and that would be our common experience, you know, um, in this country. Yeah. <laughs> and in a country that was so thoroughly Catholic, you would think that would be the case there too, but that wasn't the case in Italy at the time. So he is conscripted, um, but as you say, he, he is so ill, and this happens throughout his young life. After he's um, originally ordained, they send him home to Pietrelcina, his hometown, after having been, you know, at, at the novitiate and at several far, friaries and, and then preparing through studies for ordination, he's sent home because he's, they think he's dying. And he spikes these fevers which break thermometers. Wow. So literally, um, no natural explanation. Mm. People, people can't endure fevers of 120 degrees. Oh. I think there was one of 140 degrees. Wow. Yeah. So uh, he was too hot to touch. People couldn't touch him. And, <laughs> and, but this was part of his, uh, the anticipation of his, his complete confirmation to Christ later on. Um, purgatory on earth. Purgatory on earth. Uh, he right. was, um, yes, he was, uh, he was experiencing purgatorial fire in his own flesh. And, uh, and they were so sure that um, this signaled you know, impending death, that he was basically sent home to be with his parents as he passed uh, from this life. But, um, but he continued um, to pray. He said mass in his hometown. Um, and uh, apparently the masses were so long that not that many people could attend, right? They would start, they would go to mass and find that it was going to take two hours and would have to go to work. Um, his parish priest at the time uh, remarked on his sanctity, um, said that his mass was just a mystery, he said, um, mm. a mystery of, of um, once again, confirmation to Christ, the priest uh, living out uh, Christ's self-offering in the mass. But, uh, but that foiled the government's plans, you know. Um, God had a different plan, and so, um, so his, uh, his infirmities got him excused from military service, and he ended up back home. Uh, and, uh, and ended up receiving the stigmata in the year 1918, so the year that the, the First World War ended. Let's talk about the stigmata, and for a lot of people, they, they're not sure what that means. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have, um, St. Francis has this experience, but why don't mm -hmm. you just des describe, because it's pretty f literal and physical for Padre Pio. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, St. Francis had earlier experienced um, a vision with a seraph and uh, who seemed to have Christ in its wings. It was Christ himself, of course, and, and uh, Francis had had this experience. Um, and what's so unique is, though, this is at the end of Francis's life. Yes, that that's right. That he gets right. the stigmata. That's I mean, right. the very end. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's you know, sickly. He's, he's older now. This is the very end of his life, and it's kind of like the crowning... Uh, anointing of Francis, right? Yes, for yes. him, to, that Christ is is giving this stigmata on Francis to show that this man has conformed himself to the crucified, his crucified Lord. Yeah. 
in such a unique way that he's given the gift of uh, having the wounds, the five wounds of Christ. Yes, that's right. Um, Padre Pio um, apparently received it first mystically and had had it for years, by, by which we mean he felt the pain but didn't have the wounds. Mm. Um, and already beginning, um, you know, when he was uh, a younger priest. Um, but it would come and go. And uh, in the year 1918, um, and uh, three days after the feast of the Stigmata of St. Francis, which mm. happens to be today on the day we're filming yeah. uh, this video, um, it's normally celebrated on September 17th. Uh, St. Francis received the wounds, the stigmata, as you say, near the end of his life on September 14th, which is the Feast of the Exaltation of the, the Holy, Holy Cross. Cross. Right. But the Franciscans celebrate it three days later. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's uh, because they want him to have his own feast day. <laughs> uh, he can't, he's, he's pushed out of the way by Christ, I as, didn't realize as is rightly that. the case. Yeah. But then three days later, Padre Pio, three days after that feast, wow. Padre Pio um, receives this on September 20th. And, uh, and once again falls into an ecstasy and wakes up with his hands and feet bleeding in his side. Yeah, um, and, and when you see pictures, I mean, his hands were, they're serious. It's not like a small hole. No. no they were they, gaping holes yes, that were. they were nail-sized holes. Nails, yeah, large nail-sized holes. Um, they, would, uh, they would occasionally form um, little coverings, sort of skin coverings that looked almost like large blood blisters and then they would burst again and then they would go, this, this would happen over and over again apparently, but they would never heal, they never got infected. Uh, they were tested innumerable times by doctors. He was very much troubled by, <laughs> by, by physicians who would uh, try and uh, disprove you know, the phenomena of the stigmata. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting thing and, and I guess the point you were you were pushing towards as regards Francis's receiving them late in life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, here and is for Padre Pio. Padre, it's a, a whole different, in a sense, literally cross for Padre Pio to get this in his prime, young, yeah. mm -hmm. and, and, and it makes it, as Paul would say uh, about himself in 1 Corinthians 4, that you know, God has made us apostles a spectacle to the yes, world. that's right. And it really made Padre Pio a spectacle to the it world. Did. And that's not always a, a nice thing to be a spectacle. No. no. Yeah, he was very impatient with that and didn't quite understand it. It was part of his simplicity uh, that he didn't quite recognize um, what was going on to him. As a matter of fact, people asked about the, the mystical phenomena. He said, they're, they're a mystery to me too. He didn't understand you know, the, the, the mystery of biolocation. He knew it was happening apparently, that he could be seen in two places at the same time, caring for somebody in a hospital at the same time that he was still in the friary and seen in the choir at the very hour. And this happened innumerable times <laughs> in his life, and, and, but he couldn't see it. He couldn't, and he didn't, it, it never puffed, puffed him up. There's a famous story of um, uh, Padre Pio being called to the loggia, you know, the balcony of the friary on one of these days when people were gathering to see Padre Pio. And there was a large crowd gathered outside and he said to the brother who was standing next to him, what are all these people doing here? And the brother said, Father, they're here to see you, of course. And he said, if they only knew, hmm. and put his head in his hands and walked away. Um, he, he couldn't imagine that people would gather 
to see him, even though he was perfectly aware that these things were happening around him and in him all the time. But God, in a certain sense, hides uh, you know, the magnitude of the sanctity of the saints from them so that they don't uh, become puffed up. They can retain their humility. And uh, so it's, it's, yeah, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable irony, um, as you say, to, you know, to, to be a spectacle, and, but to, to have no sense of one's own uh, grandeur or importance. It's really the opposite of what we see in the world. Mm. But that's what we find in Padre Pio, a man who yeah. is puzzled over his own celebrity. One of the stories about Padre Pio, and there's so many, many, mm -hmm. but, you know, after, after uh, World War II, and even during World War II, people would come to him, and he had the gift of prophecy. Yeah. And so mothers would be like, I'm praying for my, my son who's in the military, and he would say, he would pray and say, your, your son's going to live and survive, and that would happen. Yeah. And, you know, and there were sad occasions where he told them that they weren't, but to pray for their soul. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. So there's amazing stories with that. Oh, and once again, so many. Um, and... Uh, and he became a celebrity, especially in Italy, but elsewhere too. Um, you know, there, there are many stories of famous Italian celebrities going to visit Padre Pio, some of them being converted and some not. Some hmm. of them found him too challenging. But, and, and one of the characteristics of Padre Pio, that he was dead honest to everyone. He wow. didn't sugarcoat anything. And this, this was characteristic of uh, not, you know, just the prophecies. He just told you the bold truth. This is what God makes clear to me. But he would also read souls in the confessional. He spent hours and hours in the confessional every day and would routinely tell people their sins. Hmm. You forgot this. Uh, some people never even got the chance to even begin their confessions. He would, you know, declare to them the very reason why they were there and, and sort out the problem for them. Sometimes he would, he would, uh, you know, he would scold them, you know, mm. for a lack of contrition or mm. a blind spot in, the, in their moral life. And almost everyone, uh, not every soul, but, uh, you know, because it's a mystery of freedom. Mm -hmm. But uh, many people were converted and deeply changed by this insight that he was given. And that's infused knowledge. It's not a human mm -hmm. gift. God is simply giving mm. him to know what God knows about the soul mm. of that person. So it's a clear manifestation of the divine power. It's wow. not something that someone can even mimic. Well, one of the times that there was this infused knowledge, uh, you know, is the story that to me is so remarkable is that a young priest comes down while studying in Rome, and uh, this young priest is going to be told something pretty serious. I mean, do you want to <laughs> tell that story? Or? I think I know where you're going with this. Uh, yeah, a young priest named Karol Wojtyła, from Poland. A, from Poland. So after, after the war, after World War II, um, you know, he was, he was in Poland under the Nazis, you know, had to uh, secretly attend seminary. Uh, but after the war, he was able to go to Rome to study and to get, uh, to get a doctorate at the Angelicum. And apparently during that time, he went to see Padre Pio. And Padre Pio uh, apparently gave him an intimation that he had a, a very bright ecclesiastical future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, according to the story, Padre Pio tells me you will one day be Pope. Yes, yes. And, and that's not something that happens very often. I mean, this, to say that you'll be Bishop, that would be a big, a big prophecy. Yeah, right. But to say that you're going to be the Pope someday, uh, and that you, you think about 
why would God reveal that to Carl Waitia at a young age in his early priesthood? Mm -hmm. But, you, you know, my reflection on that, I'd love to hear what yours is, that he, he lets him know his future vocation in order to prepare yeah. Carl Waitia. I mean, mm -hmm. he's got a very special mission. He's not just going to be Pope, but he's going to be a, I, I think, a particular Pope. I mean, we talk about him being John Paul the Great. I mean, one of the greatest Popes in the history. He's, he's a, yes. There's a handful of Popes that had the kind of impact that he has. And God's preparing his heart, and it also it becomes a prophetic sign of, you know, that Padre Pio was, yes, was exactly. a true prophet. Yes, exactly. So, um, uh, Carol Wojtyla, later St. John Paul II, is going to first beatify and then canonize Padre Pio and, uh, and had a personal reason mm -hmm. for recognizing uh, the sanctity of this man, um, as you have noted. And I, I would agree with you. I think um, Padre Pio, one of the things that's clear from his letters um, and, uh, you know, and his interactions with church authorities, which were sometimes difficult you know, because he was persecuted, uh, by the church. This is often the case in the lives of the saints that, you know, we're not just persecuted by evil men, we're sometimes <laughs> persecuted by good men. You no, know, I, I, our Lord, don't understand. Our Lord or, was persecuted by the uh, church authorities of, of <laughs> his okay. day. That's yes. right. That's right. Long so, tradition. Yeah. Um, so Padre Pio, you know, struggled. He always very obediently. He was also always, you know, perfectly obedient, docile uh, to the direction of church authority, and that, inclu that included um, two years when he was actually forbidden from saying mass publicly and hearing confessions he wasn't allowed to uh, mm. under another pope, an earlier pope. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, and so it, and, and his notoriety and so also his favor in the eyes of some high churchmen waxed and waned over the years because it's a 50 year long uh, yeah. process of this confirmation to Christ through the stigmata and all the other uh, sufferings that he endured in that 50 years. Uh, one author calls it 50 years of thorns and roses, you know, mm. and uh, it, it really is that. I think that's a beautiful description. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, so, so Pope John Paul II, I think, was probably a kind of gift um, to Padre Pio, mm. right? He saw that the church was troubled. You mentioned that in your, in your introduction, right? Mm. That that all the saints are saints for our times. You know, there are always mm -hmm. particular gifts that God gives us in the life of the church in our day. Um, once again, grace is freely given, uh, a particular gift for the world. And Padre Pio is that. Um, I think God gave Padre Pio a little light uh, in mm -hmm. the person of, of JP2, right? Yeah. This man, this Pole, mm -hmm. right? He's very different. You know, he's. You know, not that they we're criticizing mm -hmm. prior papacies, but this man is going to be a powerhouse, a spiritual mm -hmm. powerhouse in the life of the church. And I think that was a, a beacon of hope for Padre Pio, too. Mm. That's beautiful. It's, it's kind of like Samuel being told that David is going to yeah. be king. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So yeah. the prophet Samuel Very good. gets a vision of the Lord's anointed. Yeah, that's, that's right. Coming. Yeah, I, I like that. Wow. You know, for people who... Padre Pio took this unexpected suffering that he would oftentimes get, mm -hmm. various illnesses and persecution, different things. But he always took that suffering and made something beautiful with it by offering it to God. Mm -hmm. How can people today, Sean, people in our audience, 
who experience suffering, um, how can they use that for the kingdom and for, for something beautiful for our Lord? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a critical question in our own day because, you know, suffering is not popular among modern people. Um, one author notes that um, when Padre Pio went to the novitiate, the sign that was, you know, not over the door, but in a stairway that, you know, that the, the novices would go up uh, as, they, as they entered said, uh, penance or hell? Hmm. <laughs> wow, I choose penance. Yeah, I would choose penance, yeah. Now, that, to, to us, that sounds um, rigid, yeah. right? It sounds fierce. Uh, but that, that was the spirituality of Franciscanism throughout its history. And, and Padre Pio was raised in that. I remember um, Father Groeschel, who was a Capuchin who then became the founder of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, um, speaking about as a Capuchin, as a young Capuchin, when he approached vows, the, uh, uh, um, the person who was preaching the Mass as they took their first vows preached that poverty, chastity, and obedience are the three nails that affix Christ to the cross. Mm. Right? So it's, a, it's confirmation to Christ in his suffering, not for the sake of suffering itself, yeah but for the fruitfulness yeah. that comes from the, the gift that Christ gives and which he presents to us as the, as the enduring icon of, of a loving gift of self. It's the point you made before, right? Um, in, in Padre Pio's life, because he's conformed to suffering, mm -hmm. um, he so surrenders himself that there are no obstacles to the movement of grace. Yeah. And somebody who uh, is able under the the weight of suffering to surrender themselves, to mm. recognize in it a share in Christ's own suffering, as St. John Paul himself mm. says in Salvifici Doloris, his beautiful, mm. um, his beautiful encyclical on suffering, um, Christ opens up the salvific power of the passion to those who embrace him in their own sufferings, mm. right? So, uh, uh, it, it becomes a, a new means by which we enter into closer relationship with God and a gift that we can offer for others in, in accord with that quote that we mentioned from Colossians before, mm -hmm. right? As St. Paul said, I make up in my sufferings, right? What is lacking, lacking to the sufferings of Christ, Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Yeah. That is the paradigm that Padre Pio expresses in in oh. perfection, you could say. Yeah, no, I mean, like our Lord, like St. Francis, mm -hmm. this all bears the fruit, as you said, of love. I mean, mm -hmm. the penance sounds um, penitential, it sounds dark, it sounds uh, anti-human, but it's not. It actually, once you embrace suffering and give it to Christ, he's able to take it and do the work of changing hearts. Yeah, that's And right. uh, now, I, I know, Sean, that you have a devotion to Padre Pio, but I don't know why. So tell me, wh <laughs> why do you, why, why were you drawn to Padre? Well, I, I I credit him with my conversion. Mm -hmm. So I was I was raised a uh, Quaker, uh, the official title being the the American Society of Friends, and um, and in for the Quakers, Saint Francis was about the only acceptable saint, really, mm -hmm. because they they think of him as a pacifist, <laughs> <an> environmentalist. <laughs> And so they, they sort of have their own version of St. Francis. But I remember my Quaker family members having books on St. Francis on their bookshelves. Oh, interesting. And uh, so 
Uh, but my father converted to Catholicism, and he didn't press it on the kids. He was very private in his, in his faith. Still but, a Quaker. Yeah. But, um, but he left books around. He put up a crucifix, and he left books on the shelves. And two books I picked up. One was a biography of, well, first I started reading the New Testament more deeply. And that was, and, and listening to Bach, actually. <laughs> and, and that sort of Catholicized my, my thinking, I, you might say. But I, but I read the New Testament, and I fell in love with Jesus. I found this book on St. Francis, and I read that, and I fell in love with Francis. And here's a second crucified man, you know. Wow. And, and it, I was stunned by the fact that there was all this Catholic stuff around Francis, stuff that, I, that was unfamiliar to me but very um, evocative and exotic and interesting. And then I found a book about Padre Pio, I think written by Pascal Parente. Hmm. And it was a very small book, but, but I was shocked to find that there were three crucified men. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so Padre Pio, who had only died, this was in the early 70s when I started picking up these books. I was, I was, I was a young high school student, and, uh, and I was just, I was captivated hmm. um, by these three, three crucified men. Hmm. And it wasn't hard to make me Catholic because I just drew a line between these three, three mm. crucified persons, you might say, and it led straight into the Catholic Church. Wow. And, uh, and so I've always considered myself to be a kind of uh, spiritual son of Padre Pio, and he promised that, that he would get all his spiritual children into heaven. So wow. I, I trust in his intercession still to this what day. A, what a, yeah, what a beautiful promise <laughs> and story. I, I, it, uh, it's just amazing. I love the image of the three crucified men, um, mm -hmm. Francis and Padre Pio crucified in conformity to Christ. And, uh, you know, and I think my last thought on Padre Pio is that in this time of great darkness of World War I and World War II, when the world thought that God had left and abandoned the world, God was very much acting in the world and in the suffering that was going on in the world. And Padre Pio is a witness to that. And even in our own times, we can think that God has forsaken us, and as the nations rage and there's different troubles and tribulations, God's still very much present. We just have to call upon Him, especially to offer up our suffering and bringing God's grace to the world. That's what we need to do today. May Padre Pio pray for us. God bless you. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.